Open your Bible, please, if you would, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and I'd like you to notice verse 10 with me, please. We're going to pray in just a moment. John 10, look at verse 10, the words of the Lord Jesus. The the Lord talks about thieves. Thieves come not but for to steal and kill and to destroy. Boy, it sounds like what's happening in amongst churches around the world. The devil's always at work, isn't he? Now, the Lord says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I believe the word life is a very popular word in the world today with people all over. A few people, I think, are consumed with death. A few of them are, but they're in the minority, for sure. Most people, I believe, are interested in life. In fact, the word life is so popular that a lot of people name their kids life or something to do with it. Um, Adam, uh, when he was given a wife, what did he name her? Eve, right. That's what it says in our Bible. In Hebrew, it's Chava, Chava, which, um, which means life. He named his wife life, Chava. Um, the uh, woman's name, Ava, or Ava, life. Um, the uh, man's name, Amar, means long life. The lady's name Beatrice means a voyager through life. Interesting, isn't it? I found a website that listed over 800 human names that have something to do with life. I found that interesting. Life is all about life. But not just this life, but the next life as well. What's waiting for us after we leave this life there's the next life. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's explore this subject, the story of life. Heavenly Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would take from us any uh, intruding thoughts, uh, that your Holy Spirit would put around our hearts and minds uh, a hedge of protection and allow us to think your thoughts today. Please, Lord, make room for the Scriptures in our hearts. We pray one for another Lord, we are these days under attack. I read about a Christian doctor who was fired because of his Christian belief in life over in England. I know that this is just one tiny isolated case of untold thousands and thousands of examples of troubles and trials and persecutions that befall your people. Lord, we know that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a fact. And persecution is okay. Because it's within persecution that we can find great fellowship with you and great power. And of course, there's great rewards. But most of all, that we would be made more like Jesus. Please help us today as we study the story of life to have more of the, the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. Help us to treasure life. Help us to share the story of life. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the Bible really does have a lot to say about life. The word life alone is used 450 times in the Bible. That's a lot. 
And um, if you look into the Bible, you, you, will, you will find uh, example after example, including this one here in John chapter 10, verse 10. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. So many people here uh, in this world live absolutely broken lives. They get up in the morning with no reason to get up. They go through, they go through the day with absolutely no sense of hope or purpose. And then they lay their head on the pillow, hoping maybe not to wake up the next morning. Isn't that sad? That doesn't sound like much of a life, does it? And yet there are so many like that. There are even Christian people that feel downtrodden and feel that they don't have much of a life. Someone very dear to my heart, he's dead now. He died an alcoholic's death at 40 years of age. one of my cousins. And I was only just, a, I don't know, three or four years older than him, not much. And when he died, it really hurt me. It was a shock. It was a blow. Because I liked him very much. Before he died, he, was, um, he really had no life. He would go to his job as a short order cook and then buy alcohol on the way home and he lived with his mother, my aunt, and he would just drink. And he said, to, he said to his mother, he said, Ma, look at me, I've got no life. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about life. It really, really does. What's the quality of your life today? If you had to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your life? Because Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Lord Jesus wants to give us abundant life. Many years ago, I knew of a man who started a church called New Life. That was the name of the church. And then his slogan, listen to this, his slogan was, imagine a new life. I kind of like that slogan. I like that. It sounded hopeful, it sounded positive, it sounded bright. I'm all for life, and I think God is too. In the Bible, the very first time the word life is found, can you guess what book? Genesis, yeah. Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, I'll read it for you. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. So the first message of the Bible is telling us that God is the author of life. He is. In His hand is the key of life. The second last time the word life is used in the Bible, this would be the 449th time that the word life is used in the Bible. It's found in Revelation 22, right at the very end of the book. It says this, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And so the last message of the Bible from God to man seems that God is telling us to choose life. It's very important that we choose life. The three books of the Bible that use the word life more than any others are Genesis, Proverbs, and the Gospel of John. 
Genesis is the book of origins and it uses the word life 32 times. Proverbs is the book of wisdom and it uses the word life 38 times. And the Gospel of John is the book about Jesus. And it uses the word life 44 times. Like Genesis, life began for us when we were conceived in our mummy's tummy. That's when life began. And that's why abortion is wrong, because it's the taking of human life. Like Proverbs, life gets better, so much better as we learn wisdom. And through life, if you've lived any number of years, you know that one of your biggest lessons, well actually one of your biggest teachers have been your disappointments and your failures, because your biggest lesson has been what not to do. Well, I'll never do that again. Well, you've learned something, haven't you? And wisdom is there to make life better. And like the Gospel of John, life becomes eternal when we meet Jesus Christ. In fact, meeting Jesus Christ is what the Gospel message is all about. And we know that Almighty God desires every person in the world to come to know Jesus Christ through the Gospel. Wait a minute, Pastor, you say... God wants every single person to know this gospel. How do we know that? Well, we know that from 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is long-suffering to usward and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And actually, it's from this verse here that we, we are introduced to a problem. And if you're taking notes, we'll call it point number one, the concern. The concern. Now, 2 Peter 3.9, what I just read for you, the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. This word perish, that's a, a word we're familiar with, but what does it mean? What does it mean to perish? What does the word mean to perish? The word perish means to be destroyed beyond repair. To be destroyed beyond repair, to be completely and utterly wrecked, and ruined. That's what the word perish means. Now simple logic tells us that it can't be talking about physical life. That's not what the word perish means. The Lord is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish. It's not talking about physical life because everyone, everybody dies. Whether you die in your sleep or whether you die a tragic, horrible death, everybody dies. And so it can't be referring to that. It doesn't mean physical death. Even Jesus died. So this word perish isn't referring to this life. Instead, the word perish must refer to the next life. And that life can be brought to ruin beyond hope of repair. And of course, all the accompanying sorrow and anguish that will go along with it. Eternal wreck and ruin. Perish. Let's consider that verse again. The Lord is not willing. He's long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish. The Lord, that's Almighty God, is long-suffering to usward. That means He's patient with us right now even though He knows what's coming. He can see it. He understands all what's coming in the next life. He's not willing that any should perish. That means to one day enter into the next life only to find it completely ruined, completely wrecked, destroyed beyond all hope of repair and to experience the anguish and sorrow and, and perhaps suffering also that it brings. 
You're in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Please turn back two or three pages to chapter 3, would you? John chapter 3. We'll see that word once again here. Look at it with me. John chapter 3, and I'm going to get you to help me by reading out loud together with me verse number 16. John 3 and 16. Read it out please now. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And there we have the word perish again. Second Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish. Here we see in John 3.16 that whosoever believeth in Him, that's in Jesus, should not perish. And so this point number one, this concern that mortal man, every human being, every man, woman, and, and young person, every human has a destiny with the next life, the next world, if you will. And the promise so far will not be a happy one. The promise is of a collision the promise is of eternal wreck and ruin, eternally, with all the accompanying emotions and anguish and sorrow and despair that goes along with it. It's far from a happy, a happy ending. I'm so sad when I hear of people physically suffering and then wishing they were dead, thinking all of their suffering will be over. That's not the case, my friend, because there's a next life. Well, what if I just choose not to believe in the next life? What you and I choose to believe is irregardless of the fact. You can choose to believe that you can travel any speed you like on the highway. It won't change the fact that you could be in a wreck or that you'll be pulled over, fined, maybe have your license revoked. It won't change the consequences. You could choose to believe you could fly and jump off the building and see what happens. Some people have tried it. It doesn't matter what we believe. It's what's the truth. What is going to happen to us? Well, how do you know, Pastor? Have you ever been there? I don't have to go there. Someone's already been there and told me all about it. God is the author of life. And He's told me everything I need to know. And he tells us here that there's a destiny in the next life awaiting man. And the promise so far is that it will not be a happy one. But we know that God is loving. How do we know that? From his Bible, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And as we have seen, God is not willing that any should experience this, this perishing, that any should perish in the next life. He's not willing for that to happen. And so what did He do? He provided a way to avoid eternal misery, didn't He? And this brings us to point number two. We'll call it the King, with a capital K. The King. Now in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world, that He gave the King. He gave His only begotten Son. The word for Son refers to the Son of God, or God the Son, Jesus Christ. You need to know this, 
that Jesus Christ is as much God as God the Father is God. There are those in the world who will dispute that, but that's not going to change the truth, that Jesus is God. Say, how do you know? Turn back a page to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, notice capital W, the Word, so it's a a reference to someone. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is translated from the Greek language in which it was originally written, and literally, if you want to be literal in the Greek language, it says, God is the Word. So, well, who is the Word? Look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. Verse 14 says, the Word was made flesh. The Word was God. That's what it says in chapter 1 verse 1. Jesus Christ is the Word. He's the living Word. What you're holding in your lap is the written Word. The written Word. Jesus Himself is the living Word. It's important that you know this because I'll tell you, no angel in heaven, even if it be Michael the archangel himself, no angel, no created being has the power to die for your sins. Only God Himself could do this. It required a payment so big, so enormous, that only God could do it. How many here own a computer, a personal computer of some sort, a laptop, a tablet, or something like that? Be honest with me. Don't be ashamed of your computer. All right. Most everyone. For you lucky few that don't have a computer, God bless you. You're spared all of the sorrows, the frustration. You know why they call it windows, right? You want to just throw it through the window some days. Personally, I have a love-hate relationship with my computer. Of course, it probably has that same relationship toward me. How many have heard of quantum computing? Raise your hand. Quantum computing. Okay, about a half a dozen of us. How many own a quantum computer? Not one of us. Interesting. Why is that? Because it costs a king's ransom. There's only a few of them in the world. These things are so gigantic, ginormous. They're so expensive. But they can do calculations that regular, a regular computer would take 10,000 years to do. They can do it in two minutes. Quantum computing is so vastly, it's a quantum leap into the future, folks. But these things are incredibly expensive, incredibly big. They need to be housed in these big uh, acrylic houses almost, uh, air-conditioned right to the nth degree, and also protected with shock absorbers against any vibration. They are so finicky, but yet they are so incredibly powerful, and the only people that can afford them are the likes of Google, Microsoft, you know, the big boys who have hundreds of billions of dollars. Those are the only ones. 
The problem of man's sin is it required a payment so big that no human, no race of humans, no earth full of humans, no angel, no heaven full of angels could possibly ever pay the cost. Only God was wealthy enough to pay this cost. That's why Jesus is God. He had to be God. Otherwise, we've got no salvation. And Jesus died for us. He died for the sins of the world on the cross. For every human being. He was taken off the cross and He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And He rose from the grave on the third day. Amen. He's alive, folks. He's not a dead hero. He's a living, conquering King. He's alive. Every other founder of every other world religion is dead and in the grave. Dead and in the grave. Not Jesus. Well, so how do you know? Hey, listen. All they would have had to do is produce the body. They stuck the body in a borrowed tomb. All they would have had to do is produce the body. And that would have been the end of it. But they couldn't produce the body. No corpus delecti. They couldn't find it. Why? Because he's not in the grave. He's alive. My wife and I visited Jerusalem almost 10 years ago. and We went to the, 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 the tomb where he was laid. We got to go in the tomb. And we came out and we said, it's empty. It's empty. It's an empty tomb. He's alive, folks. He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He's alive. How can He be a Savior if He's not alive? How could He save anyone if He couldn't even save Himself? He's alive. Someone wrote a song about this. And the words go like, He paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Hallelujah. What a Savior. He's the King, folks. But the story's not over. The guarantee of eternal life must now be taken and given everywhere that man is found. Now this brings us to point number three. We call it the commission. The commission. We have the concern, which is this hopeless, ruined eternity. The Bible refers to the place as hell. A place of anguish and sorrow and loss and damage eternally, beyond repair, and suffering, weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible is very descriptive of this afterlife awaiting for you and for me. But then comes the king. And the king and only the king was able to make a payment to pay for the sins of the world. And now the commission. Now if you would kindly take your Bible and turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll go to chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 are two of the more familiar verses 
in the Bible as it deals with the commission, or as we also call it, the Great Commission. Follow with me as I read them. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That word always, it doesn't say always, it says always. It means all along the way. That's the difference between always and always. At always, it refers to time, at all times, always. Always is all along the way. Jesus is saying, go. All along the way, I'll be with you. Aren't you glad we've got a King James Bible? The King James Bible is so deadly accurate. If you don't have one, go and sell your living room couch and buy one. You need a good, a good Bible. Listen, if you don't have one, we have one we'll give to you. If you're nice to Mrs. White, she'll, she'll give you a King James Bible of your own. Every Christian in the world has been given the job of helping to get this wonderful news around the world. Every Christian. If I asked you, are you a Christian? Are you born again? And you were to raise your hand, then I would say to you, you've been given a commission. This commission is for you. It's for me. It's for every Christian, man, woman, young person who's saved in Canada, the States, uh, South America, uh, Europe, Africa, Asia, down under, anywhere that there are Christian people all around the world out of seven and a half billion people. There's a bunch of Christians. They're scattered around the world. Every Christian is part of this great commission. Every believer, if you're saved, you're part of this. Part of this? Part of this, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Every Christian has been given the job of helping to get the gospel around the world. This is the job of all Christians in every church everywhere in the world. This is the job of our church here in Surrey, Grace Baptist Church. This is why we need missionaries. Listen to me, folks. Missions is the story of life. That's the title of today's message, the story of life. And this is why we need Faith Promise Conferences. Faith Promise Missions Conferences, we do them once a year. You see up here on the wall, Missions 2018 to 2019, that conference is just about over. That was our theme, go, every tongue, tribe, and nation, Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In just a couple weeks, we begin the 2019-2020 Missions Conference, Faith Promise Missions Conference. We'll all have an opportunity to be part of it. One day, do you expect to go to heaven? Nod your head. And then one day, do you expect to see Jesus, your king? Nod your head. Well, you won't want to go if you're not part of helping to get the gospel around the world because these are his last words to you, is to get busy, be about the Father's business, be part of it. You yourself... Maybe God has not called you to be a missionary to some far-off country, but God has called every one of us to help, support, and get those missionaries to the field. This is why we need conferences like the Faith Promise Missions Conference. We need people who can go on our behalf to places we cannot get to. As a church, how are we going to get to Bangladesh? It's not going to happen. We've got a wonderful church, I believe, my opinion only, I think it's the best church in the whole world. My opinion only, 
the sweetest people. The preaching could use a little work, but it's the sweetest congregation. We've got wonderful things God has blessed us with. But how are we going to get to North Africa to preach the Gospel? How are we going to get to South America to preach the Gospel? It's not going to happen. How are we going to get to Surrey, B.C.? Ah, we raise our hand. We can help with that. We happen to, to be here. Well, this is our little corner of the harvest field. But how are we going to get anywhere else? That's why we need missionaries. And God is all the time calling and, and training and raising up missionaries to go to these places that we can't get to. And that's why we need to get behind them and support them so that they go on our behalf. And you know, they'll go out there and they'll win souls. Brother Howard, who was up here reading Scripture for you, he looks after a lot of the details of the mission missionaries. Missionaries send us in these letters every three months. And um, there's a lot of letters we get in. Isn't that right, Brother Howard? Yeah. He keeps them busy up at night reading these mission letters. And he makes notes. And when the missionaries say that they've had one soul saved or ten souls brought to Christ through a, an, a, a campaign or something, he, he makes note of that. And then every couple of months, he stands up and back here on the screen, he shows us the figures. Well, I believe, if I remember right, we're at like 750 souls, one to Christ so far this year because of our missionaries. Amen? Amen. If you're part of, of supporting Faith Promise, it means that every soul that they win, every single soul that they win, part of that's credited to your account in heaven. Because of you, your prayers, your financial support to help that missionary go to that place and to win those souls. God is no man's debtor and part of that's credited to your account in heaven. And so this is why we desperately need missionaries. And we don't need missionaries here in Surrey because we are the missionaries here in Surrey. Those missionaries in Bangladesh can't get to Surrey. But we can. So this is our little harvest field. And we've got soul winners and we teach and train soul winning, which I'll tell you about a little bit later at the end of the service. We need missionaries to go to other parts of Canada that we can't get to. You and I need the help of these godly heroes to help us fulfill this commission that Jesus gave us. Listen to me carefully. In two and a half weeks, our missions conference will begin. It starts on a Wednesday and finishes on a Sunday. You'll have uh, an opportunity to talk to real live missionaries who are in the process of getting their support and their papers and things together so they can go to far off places in the world. And you'll have an opportunity to meet them and talk to them, to watch their uh, uh, movies where they show us about the, the land where God has called them to. You'll have an opportunity to hear their testimony and to hear them preach and to visit their display table. And we'll all of us, all of us have an opportunity to get involved with faith promise. And if you're still wondering, well, what is this faith promise? Well, faith promise is a method that God has greatly used here in our church over the years to help support missionaries. And we support right now 76 missionaries. Over the next three weeks, what you and I must do is we must go to God in prayer and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Me, not the next guy. What do you want me to do as far as helping out and supporting missions? How much do you want me to give? And then you let God tell you the amount. Now, no question, the exact figure may be different for every single one of us. For someone here, maybe God will tell you to give $1,000 a month. For someone here, maybe God will tell you to give $10 a week. 
The amounts are different. Don't worry about the amount. What you want to be sure of is what God is telling you. Did you catch that? Yes? Nod at me if you, if you got that one. It's what God is telling you, not the person beside you, what God is telling you, what He wants you to do for faith promise missions. This is what you'll be judged on. This is what you'll get rewards for in heaven. And so you pray, Lord, you show me. Now listen, I'm not talking about tithing. Tithing is proper. We all owe to God the tithe. But this is not tithing. This is above and beyond the tithe. You say, Pastor, won't we go broke? If I give God 10% of my income, won't I go broke if I give another chunk after that? Because after all, I'm not made of money. I work hard and I, I make a salary, but I mean, I don't make that much. Won't I go broke? Now, that's a good question. And a lot of people have asked that question. At one time, I wondered that myself. But I've learned that when you do it God's way, when God tells you what to do, God will make sure you have all the money you need. That's where the promise in Philippians 4.19 comes from. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That promise is given to people in a church who are supporting missions. That promise was for people on the bandwagon with faith promise. That's good to know. Listen, we need to uh, finish up here. But it all gets back to point number one, the concern. Do you have a concern for lost people? If I asked you how many have a friend or family member, a neighbor, who's lost on their way to hell? Well, I think I'd see every hand go up. If every hand didn't go up, I'd wonder, maybe you're living your life in a vacuum bottle or something like that and you don't know anyone. But normally people know people at work, at school, next door neighbors, even within one's own family. And how concerned are you about their eternal salvation? Aren't you glad someone cared enough about you to share the gospel with you? Aren't you glad for the day that you received Christ, you received eternal life? That brings us to point number two, the king. The king, oh, where would we be without the king of kings? And Jesus did for us what we couldn't do ourselves. And he paid sin's penalty. And oh, happy day when we received the Savior. But then comes the commission. Now it's our turn. We can't get up on the cross and die for the sins of anyone. We couldn't even die for our own sins. But we can get out there and we can help support missions so that the message will be taken around the world. And if you think, well, it doesn't apply to me because I don't even have a job, you are wrong, my friend, because God is able. He knows if you've got no job. And He is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Whether you are employed or unemployed makes no difference. You can still be part of faith promise. If you'll go to God and say, God, please let me be part of it. Would you give me something so that I can give? Possibly you're here today and you're actually in need of the gospel. Perhaps eternity for you holds a very dim view. You realize that outside of Jesus Christ there's no other way. A man may try to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule or lighting candles or saying Hail Marys or praying beads or crawling across glass. It doesn't matter. There is no other way to heaven. God has made a way, but He only made one way. And Jesus is the way. 
And if you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home and Christ is your Savior, why not? Why can't you today believe the gospel? And the gospel tells us we need to repent of our sins. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance from sin. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Jesus, believeth in Him, repent from sin, believe with all your heart in Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Come into your life to be your Lord, your Savior. Some people want Him for Savior, but they won't want Him for Lord. Well, you can save my soul. Keep me out of hell, but I'm doing whatever I want to do in life. Jesus will not save you on that basis. He will only save you if He can be your Lord. If you're not ready for a Lord, you're not ready to be saved. But the day you come to realization, hey, you know what? I've blown it. I've blown it. Maybe I haven't murdered anyone, but I've blown it. I can't get out of this one. Lord Jesus, would you forgive my sin? Come in my heart. Be my Savior. That's the day you're ready to be saved. Till then, you're just a nice person. On his way to hell. For 2 Timothy 1.1 tells us the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. The story of life. This has been a missions-minded message. And I hope that you and I will get into the thinking now of missions. Let's stand for prayer, shall we?